Okay, everybody. Thank you for joining me this Saturday morning, East Coast time. Uh, my name is Gareth Soloway, for those of you that don't know me. And uh, again, this is a verified spaces. Um, so again, pleasure to be here. And uh, I'm going to walk you guys through what's going on with the market. Uh, we have a big altcoin crash. And essentially, the question here is, is was this the plan by the SEC all along? Does this bring forward any sort of changes within crypto? Are we going to see Bitcoin and Ethereum follow suit and collapse uh, as well? Um, in addition, where would we potentially think about jumping in and, and potentially even, you know, looking at buying some of these altcoins? All right. So, again, we're going to get into stuff here on the charts as well as the macro points. Uh, I am joined by Caleb Franzen as well. Uh, how you doing, Caleb? Hey, Gareth. Good to see you, man. It's uh, doing well this morning. Doing well. How are you? Very good. Thank you. All right. So we're going to be joined by a few other big names uh, as we get into this. And uh, um, my goal here is just to kind of I know. And again, this comes from being a new trader at one point in my life is when you see things like this going on, we all tend to panic. Right. And, and the question is, is panic the best response? Probably not. So the question is, how do we talk some sense into what we're seeing here and how we're how we're essentially seeing it? Um, and ultimately, talk about what's going on so we all understand the different nuances of what's going on within the crypto markets here. So so the first and foremost thing is we're seeing some huge downside, right? So Ethereum's down 5.5% on the day, Bitcoin down 3.68%. Those aren't big moves. In fact, on the Bitcoin chart, to me, the biggest thing that I'm seeing is that Bitcoin is actually still holding the recent support. And that, to me, is technically important for Bitcoin. Um, the low from last week was around 25,400, right? So right now we're at 25,623. So just on a technical basis, that's a level that I'm watching. If you break 25,400, you should expect a flush through the even number of 25,000. And then potentially I have major support around 24,000. Um, I've talked about 24,000 in some of my streams as being a key technical level where I would actually consider thinking about a bounce opportunity on Bitcoin, so potentially a long. Now, Ethereum on the other side of the coin here, um, no pun intended there, is at a point where we are breaking down. We have made a short-term lower low, um, taking out the lowest point since uh, March 27th, March 28th, in fact. So we are short-term breaking down there. That kind of makes sense because Bitcoin, remember, is the gold of the crypto markets. I look at Ethereum as the silver. It's a little bit more volatile. It has a little bit more risk, but oftentimes you can make more out of it than out of Bitcoin. Those are the two gold standards, if you will, in the crypto markets. Uh, support on Ethereum, if you connect the lows going back to November of 2022, um, there's a trend line at $1,625. So that would be my major technical support. Now, now, let me flip it over to Caleb and just say, Caleb, can you give me your thoughts on what we're seeing here um, in this crypto market? I mean, what, what should investors be taking out from what they're seeing with the Ethereum move, the Bitcoin move, but more importantly, the altcoin collapse? Yeah, thanks. And I'm, I'm happy to touch on Bitcoin and Ethereum. But first, let me just talk about what I'm seeing in the altcoin universe. One of the things I did um, as soon as I woke up. Um, is I looked at total three. So that's total crypto market cap, excluding Bitcoin and Ethereum. And then what I decided to do was subtract out 
USDT and USDC, right? So essentially pulling out the stablecoin universe. And in doing so, we made new cycle lows in that relationship actually falling below the Q4 2022 lows. Um, so that for me is very interesting, right? Because this particular um, basket of crypto, if you will, crypto, or excuse me, total three minus USDT minus USDC was at one point up 47% year to date. And now it's given back all of those gains and actually flipped slightly negative on the year. And so that's super important, right? Because when we look at something like Bitcoin and Ethereum, these are still holding their uptrends that they've been in now for the past, let's call it seven months, right? And so I think um, we're seeing a very strong bifurcation within the crypto market, which is super important for people to understand. Um, if you're a momentum trader, if you're looking for strength, if you're looking for, like, exactly like I said, like I said, relative strength, that is only being found in Bitcoin and Ethereum. Pretty much nothing else is showing relative strength. Um, so I think that's super important. You touched on Bitcoin really quickly. Um, look, we're coming right into the 200-week moving average cloud. So I like to combine both the exponential and simple moving average. And we're coming right into that EMA, the 200-week EMA today, um, which... You know, I've been actually hoping to see a more firm retest of this range to come in and be a buyer. So I'm obviously not going to buy at the exact moment when there's blood in the street, but I wouldn't mind at some point later today increasing my allocation into Bitcoin. Um, I actually haven't even had a chance um, to really do too much focus on Ethereum. However, I will say that we are now retesting the former year-to-date highs, which were which was resistance. Um, through March. And so we were able to break out above it. And now we're using that range now, hopefully, potentially as support. Um, no guarantee that it works as support. But if it doesn't act as support, that's a very clear indication from market participants that bulls are not stepping in to defend key structure. So if bulls aren't stepping in to defend key structure, all that means to me is bears take control. So far, we're not at that point yet, but we could be today or tomorrow. So let's see how it shakes out. Wow, that's amazing. And, and so so would you say, like, is there an opportunity in I mean, I'm looking at Cardano right now down 22 uh, percent, Solana down 24 percent, was Polygon down 27 percent. Are these situations where investors just stay on the sidelines and say, no, this is way too risky? Or, or are there levels on the alts that you would consider nibbling on? I think all of that, that question can be boiled down into two things, which is what's your risk tolerance and what's your time frame for the investment? If you're looking to potentially make a 10 to 20% upswing on some of these things, yeah, you want it. This is the time to be buying, hopefully for some sort of correction. That correction could not come and we might fall another 20% immediately, right? So it's like yeah. you have to be willing to take that risk. What's your, what's your stop loss on something that just continues to fall? It's very hard to find yeah. that potential support level, right? So um, for me, that's not in my wheelhouse. It's not something I'm interested in. But I know that there are a lot of market participants, traders, and investors who do prefer that type of um, that type of swing, if you will. Yeah, one thing one thing I would just point out too is that if you look at your Bitcoin dominance chart, BTC.D on uh, Trading View, um, there's been resistance right at this forty nine percent Bitcoin dominance level, and we've actually just broken above it here in the latest day here, so in the last twenty four hours. And so what's interesting about that is we've been kind of hammering on that every kind of 
period over the last, really going back to 2021, Bitcoin dominance um, in July, in October of 2021, then in 2022, kept on hammering on like 48, 49%, which again, we know technically speaking, that was resistance and now we're breaking above that. So if we do get a breakout on this, what it implies is that even though Bitcoin may come down some, it means that the alts could continue lower over time. And that doesn't mean we won't get bounces, right? I think I think everything gets bounces occasionally, right? Nothing rarely unless it's it's a fraud like FTX goes straight to zero. So so I think that that's important to recognize that that Bitcoin dominance is uh, is starting to to break out to the upside. Um, I do want to welcome uh, Greg Dickerson on, onto the line. Greg, uh, thanks for joining us. He's a great, great mind in real estate and macro data. Are, is there anything that you want to point out to people that you're seeing in the crypto markets right now? Yeah, yeah. Good morning, everybody. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm on, I'm on par with you guys. You know, the big thing I look at is, you know, at my stage of life, you know, I'm more about wealth preservation than, you know, massive risk. So I always look at things from those perspective. I'm, you know, I'm opportunistic and I'm optimistic. And, um, you know, I think once the dust settles and we get through all this, there's going to be some great opportunities. But when I look at risk, risk reward, you know, on these altcoin trades you were just mentioning, I mean, altcoins can still drop, you know, 50 to 90 percent from here and revert back to the mean of 2020. Um, and then consolidation of, you know, 2019. So, you know, I'm kind of watching those levels. Um, you know, we've done well up to this point, but with the exchanges coming, you know, under attack like they have been, you know, there is potential for that. You know, the interesting thing is they haven't gone after crypto.com, Qcoin, you know, any of these other exchanges yet. So, you know, there could be another shoe to drop if that starts happening. And then, you know, market makers are just, you know, they're just liquidity's drying up with them. Everybody's kind of, you know, running for the hills right now. So it's it's pretty interesting. But I'm with you as they drop, you know, you can get some the lower they go, obviously, the, the bigger the bounces you can get for some short term trades, but you always got to keep that downside in mind. And if yes. they do revert back to that mean, how long will they stay there? And you know, that's a question we just don't know. You know, these court cases could be years. Yeah. And I think I think one of the things that I've kind of been dealing with and just kind of contemplating lately is like, uh, all right, so so we know that the SEC is going after these big players. And you're right. They haven't gone after Crypto.com. My guess is they wanted to make a splash because Binance is the biggest Coinbase is the U.S. traded one. So they, they kind of looked at it like, OK, if we're going to go for the jugular, these are the ones we, we do first. And then those secondary ones will happen over time, but won't be as big stories. But the question I have is, is like, if the SEC is really going after crypto, what's the biggest threat or what's the biggest issue? And the question I would have is if they're trying to backdoor a CBDC through FedNow or any other method, wouldn't Tether be an obvious kind of target? And then is that like a bigger I mean, imagine if, if something happens there where all of a sudden they go after Tether. Does that then create even a bigger issue in within the crypto markets? Yeah, that's interesting that, you know, Tether hasn't come up, come up in any of these conversations, nor is USDC. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's interesting. And, you know, the biggest takeaway that I that I had from everything that happened last week was Gensler's, you know, little Freudian slip when he said, we don't need another digital currency. So, I mean, there's your agenda right there. I mean, you know, obviously a lot of it is the, the ongoing conversation are these securities, who's operating illegally, you know, all of the, you know, all of the different things that, you know, wash trading manipulation that we see in the stock market, you know, you've got the same thing. You, you put a tweet, uh, tweet out the other day, you know, you get a lot of the same kind of manipulation and sort of wash trading in the stocks as well. But that's the big thing. We know there's a lot of stuff going on with Tether. We know, you know, USDC is probably a little bit cleaner 
But yeah, they haven't come out against that yet. So it's interesting that he said we don't need another digital currency, but they're not targeting the stable coins. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Sorry, I was just looking at a couple other things on my charts here, trying to analyze uh, some other levels. So then, then if we go through this, right, and, and first of all, I, I want to ask both Caleb and Greg is, do you think that the allegations made against Binance, the more serious ones, um, do you think there's anything, do you think it's totally BS? Do you think there's some truth there? Um, we know that Binance has announced that they're stopping um, contributions to accounts from the, from the U.S. and then eventually stopping withdrawals. But I guess the question is, is, I mean, I, I felt like initially after the Binance news, we had that drop in crypto. And then the next day when they sued Coinbase, crypto ripped right back up, almost as if the crypto community was laughing at the allegations and being like, listen, we don't even believe the SEC anymore. Um, but then again, the SEC, I mean, what's their history of BSing, right? I mean, I, what do you guys think about that? Um, I'll, I'll just keep my comments brief because I'm, I'm certainly not a lawyer. So to, to talk about whether or not the allegations have merit is totally out of my wheelhouse. I'm a I'm a macro and charts guy. You know, um, I think that uh, what I can what I can speak to, though, is maybe the response that we saw within crypto price action immediately following the, you know, the initial sell off. I think that that had less to do with, you know, the market dismissing the allegations and the market essentially already somewhat being priced for bad news. Right. And so the market, again, is this forward looking pricing mechanism. Prices were able to snap back very quickly. I don't think that that was because, you know, the allegations don't have merit. I think it's simply just because the market is able to see past those concerns. Right. And so while a lot of other cryptos, right, like total crypto three um, were still selling off during that period, something like Bitcoin and Ethereum were able to rally back quite quickly because I think on the grand scheme of things, investors are well aware that. Bitcoin and Ethereum don't need Binance to survive. They don't need Binance to thrive, right? Like this is a very, very important kind of takeaway, irrespective of whether or not the allegations have merit. Got yeah, I'm with Caleb, you know, from a legal standpoint, uh, you know, who knows until we see, you know, documents, evidence, and then, you know, if and when a DOJ uh, charge is filed and they start going after him, you know, it's just really hard to know. You know, Travis Kling of Ikigai, you know, he seems convinced that, you know, Binance is FTX too. And that the same exact kind of stuff, you know, literally taking customer deposits, putting them in different accounts, trading with it. Um, you know, the interesting thing that's coming out now is reports, and I don't know how founded they are, but, you know, reports that a lot of the BMB was dumped before the SEC action came out. Of course, you know, you posted some stuff on stocks the other day before, you know, some news came out. Um, that's just standard stuff, you know, insider information. But, yeah, from a legal standpoint, I mean, we obviously know that there's a lot of you know, things going on that, that aren't above board, you know, um, with a lot of these exchanges, Coinbase probably too, you know, who knows, you know, what's, what's going on there and what they can actually track and what they can't. So I think as this unfolds, you know, in the documents come out and the discovery, you know, that former CEO testimony, I think that's going to be critical and huge um, in terms of what she's saying and the cooperation there. And then whether or not, you know, Sam Bankman is, is cooperating, you know, behind closed doors as well. And, you know, testifying to what he knows. I think the big one is if Tether gets wrapped into this, you know, whole thing, then we'll then we'll really get a lot of answers. But, um, you know, you, you just don't know from a legal standpoint what's going to happen, yeah. what's true, what's not true. 
Yeah, and just to just to clarify, kind of what I was saying in that tweet you were referring to is for those of you out there that maybe didn't see it, it's, it's basically that I was pointing out that the SEC's job is to protect investors and make sure nothing screwy or shady goes on within the stock market. And obviously now they're reaching into the crypto markets and trying to regulate it. But like just just when that Binance, just before that Binance news hit, there was a massive put option trade that was initiated on on Coinbase, and and you can't tell me that that was just dumb luck. That a huge, I mean, it's just one thing to have like, you know, a small investor just saying, oh, I'll buy some puts on something. But this was a massive trade that, that stood out like a sore thumb. And then obviously, once that news hit, Coinbase collapsed, I think, 12 to 15 percent the first day. And then when they got sued the next day, it was down another 12 to 15 percent again. And they made I mean, whoever did those options made a massive amount of money. And then. You look at other situations like I was pointing out with Tesla just the other day, Tesla stock was was every other tech stock. I think this was Wednesday was dropping massively. Um, Microsoft was down 12 bucks on the day, which is a huge move for Microsoft. But Tesla stock was green and it was green all day long. Very unusual is the only big cap mega cap tech stock that was green. And then a day later, we hear that they signed a deal with with GM to, to let their let GM use their supercharging stations. And it's just like, you know, you start to put these pieces of the puzzle together and you're like all right well obviously some people knew about the the sec regulatory stuff and they got insider information and acted on that and then you know that you know chances are some people knew about the tesla news that was coming and it's like okay well if the sec is so adamant about regulating and protecting the investor and not letting stuff go on like this you know it's hard to me it drives me nuts it's like clean up your own house you know, make sure your own house is in order. And then, yeah, then obviously I'm all for regulation in the crypto markets, too, and making sure nothing shady is going on there. But it just seems a little like it almost seems to me like they've become obsessed with crypto and they're like, all right, we just have to focus on this. And then they're letting so many other things within their own house go to go to shit, frankly. Um, so anyways, that's just, you know, for those of you out there that were that might have been not understanding what Greg was referring to, that's kind of what I was referring to there. Um Going back to altcoins, like, you know, do you guys think that altcoins survive this? Um, is there, you know, like, like for me as a trader, right, and this is from a trading perspective, I look at it like when there's blood in the streets or in, in this case in the crypto markets, that's when at some point I do move into some of the better quality ones. So like, let's say a Cardano, right? Is there a price point? that gets you interested on even a longer term basis or, or is it just too murky out there and just stay the heck away? What do you guys think? Yeah, I think, you know, some, some, you know, tokens will survive, you know, some projects will survive, you know, some of them may go away. Some of the meme coins that we've seen, but, you know, for me, uh, you know, obviously we have critical levels, you know, going back to, um, you know, June, I mean, if we look at, let's just take, um, let's just take Cardano. So, you know, if you go back right now, we've already broken that last low, you know, December, uh, 2022. And, you know, I mean, just like to, to the point I made earlier about how far these things can drop, you know, from December, 2022, it's already dropped, you know, 11%. Now it's rebounded. So there's, there's buyers out there. So what I'm looking at is I'm going back to that consolidation right before the, you know, um, outbreak in 2021, you know, right before that run up in 2021, there was a little consolidation. So it's kind of testing the lower end of that range right now, if you just take Cardano. So you're seeing a lot of the same things on a lot of the, a lot of the different coins and you can still buy these on, you know, um, decentralized exchanges and things. So, I mean, the coins themselves, I don't think 
are going to go away. And, and, you know, I mean, I don't think the SEC can touch some of these companies that aren't in the United States. I think the only thing they can really do is go after exchanges. Um, right. They, they can't go after a decentralized exchange that, I mean, who knows where they are, or where they're operating or, or what to do. So uh, I'm kind of watching that. I mean, I think if they start testing those 2020 levels before the run up um, and break through this 2021 consolidation before, you know, the massive breakout, I think those can be some really good levels, you know, for people. And, and in the meantime, you know, midterm people that are trading. I mean, you've got some nice bounces going on here. Yeah, and I, I think I think it's important to recognize, like as a as a technician and a chartist and a, a macro player, and, and Caleb, you might have some insights on this too, since it's in your wheelhouse. But like, there is fundamental value in like a Cardano. Like you have you have things being built on that, and you have things being built on the Polygon platform, and and all these things. So so I would assume that that even if the regulation is whatever it is, at some point there is some fundamental value to these things. What do you think about that, Caleb? Yeah, I mean, look, my, my pushback would be this, you know, I feel like the, the current environment that we're waking up to today is, is in a lot of ways very similar to like what happened with Solana in November of last year, right? Because it was so kind of um, cozied up with FTX, Solana just absolutely tanked, right? And it felt like that, you know, it was never going to recover. This was doomed to fail, all this kind of, you know, uh, you know, extreme fear. Right. And if you bought Solana on that day, the coin certainly went on to make lower lows, but it ended up being up one hundred and twenty two percent at one point um, from those early November levels to the early February highs of this year. However, if you denominate Solana in Bitcoin terms, so look at Sol BTC, that's making new lows today. Right. So it's like at at the end of the day, as an investor, we have an opportunity cost. If we allocate capital to one cryptocurrency or one investment, that means that that money cannot be allocated to another potential investment. And so when I look at the crypto marketplace, I don't know why I would want to own anything other than Bitcoin and perhaps Ethereum, because everything else is making lower lows relative to Bitcoin. Everything else is making lower lows relative to Ethereum. So why own anything else? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That does make a lot of sense. Now, now, Tom, how are you, buddy? And welcome, Tom Crown. He's jumping on here as well. Uh, Tom, looking back at this recent run up when Bitcoin and, and, and you know, everyone was screaming when Bitcoin was at 30,000 that there was alt season coming, right? And then somehow alt season never came and then we're seeing the collapse. Like looking back on that, were there signals? Were there, were, did you see anything in the charts that was alerting you that, you know, there, there was trouble brewing? Oh man, I just I'm just waking up here to a, a laundry list of alerts <laughs> that went off for the first time. Jeez, holy uh, yeah. dominance! Really, uh, I was talking about this yesterday on stream, looking at dominance and saying, "Oh, well, we're seeing it move up a little bit." But you know, we've been in this range for two years, and uh, you know, it, it's not maybe not quite time to buy alts until we see that breakout, and then man, uh, stuff hit the fan today. So. Yeah, altcoin season trending kind of in the middle of, you know, middle of nowhere. <laughs> I think it was only a month or two ago. It's probably a red flag looking back. Um, we didn't see dominance actually do anything exciting to give us an alt season. So, I mean, that that was jumping the gun. I think we all just wanted something to be excited about. I think that's really what happened. Yeah. 
<laughs> and I would just jump in too, Tom. And like, I, I saw, you know, obviously I saw you at Bitcoin Miami, but like one of the things that stood out to me at Bitcoin Miami, and I think this stretches into the crypto markets is like participation was down 40%, right? So, I mean, it wasn't as crazy as the previous years, even though interestingly enough, Bitcoin was actually approximately within like a thousand dollars of the same price point as it was the previous uh, Bitcoin Miami. And so, so there was just, to me, it looks, if you look at the volume in, in the crypto markets, there's this kind of like, like disassociation where you're just seeing more and more people leave or just not be interested in investing. And then that creates a scenario where you get these, these drops where there's just not been a lot of volume on the move up so that they can fall so freaking quickly when something negative happens. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Miami was, there was a good amount of people, but if you were there the year before, it was almost like entering a magical like Bitcoin world when you landed in Miami. Like the entire airport was plastered in Bitcoin signs and different companies, the streets. There's like literally every like cars had Bitcoin advertisements on the top of them. It was it was a very different reality. And then we even see they're moving to uh, to Nashville next year, so <laughs> downsizing their location. Um, Certainly, there were there were like uh, many differences. Um, you know, I, there, I was looking at things yesterday, like ADA and uh, what are some other ones that were going on? Well, ADA was a good example. You know, we saw a lot of major alts break these supports that they've held for months and months and months. And I went to bed thinking, okay, well, there'll, there'll probably be a few more. Uh, and I literally woke up to like 50 alerts. I haven't even gotten to look at them all yet. It it does look. Uh, I don't see many new kind of like lows being broken in the sense of uh, macro macro lows. Like I, I haven't seen like new lows versus what last year around this time. Feel free to correct me because I, I am just waking up and seeing these, so I haven't gotten into them yet. Um, but it definitely does not look great for alts right now. And uh, Bitcoin doesn't look like it's really gone too far, does it? it it's kind of sitting roughly where it was for the last few weeks. Yeah. And I think that's going to be the interesting thing for me is that and, and Caleb and Greg can jump in on this is that, you know, do we see Bitcoin at some point pay, play place a dump as well? And, and you know, it, like sometimes and, and this is how markets in general work, where you'll see the riskiest things drop first, right, because people are de-risking. And then eventually when you finally get a bottom, the last things are to fall. Like, for instance, in the stock market right now, we've seen Apple hit a new all time high. We've seen Microsoft get close. We've seen Tesla's massive rally. NVIDIA going to all time highs. But if you took out those five to 10 stocks that are like those trillion dollar companies, the rest of the S&P and the NASDAQ is basically sideways. And so people are, are almost going to the safest place, which to me is actually a warning sign um, where the final flush is still there. And if the stock market, we know that obviously crypto is related to risk on risk off. If the stock market gets more into a dump phase where we actually start to pull back, does that finally crack the Bitcoin kind of dominant? Well, not necessarily dominance, because I still think the alts would drop as well, but just bring those in quite a bit. And again, Greg, I know you you have some views on macro and, and Caleb as well. And I'd love to kind of get your your sense of the stock market in relation to this. And is there pain coming? I mean, is this a signal that the stock market could be in trouble? You know, it's interesting. Sometimes, you know, Bitcoin will lead the market and sometimes it's the other way around, you know, and I put a tweet out the, yesterday, you know, we still have a tight labor market. We still have higher inflation. We still have a Fed that's tightening. Um, we still have some geopolitical risks out there and some potential escalations, you know, with China and things that are weighing on the markets, right? These aren't just like doom and gloom. These are just the reality of where the market is from a macro standpoint, from a risk standpoint. But yet the markets are ripping, 
And, you know, everybody wants to say, oh, it's just five or six stocks or eight stocks or whatever. But now we're starting to see a rotation. And now you're also seeing bull market, new bull market everywhere in the headlines. So, you know, is this a new bull market or do we just put another lower high? So we won't know that. And, and next week, we're going to get a lot of, of clarity and a lot of guidance. You know, if, if, if uh, inflation comes down a little bit, if the Fed can pause and just kind of hold the line, you know, from here in the Q3, Q4, and we avoid any kind of a deep recession, um, you know, I think the markets can hang on. And I think maybe they can consolidate right here, which would be good for Bitcoin and Ethereum. I think the altcoins, to Caleb's point, are going to continue to bleed on the pairs just because of where the space is right now and what's going on, you know, with uh, regulation and things. Um, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum are your safety trades in crypto right now, and alts are going to continue to bleed to them. And, you know, I think as long as the stock market can hold up, you know, does it retest the lows in October? You know, maybe, um, you know, but it's going to take something for that to happen. We're going to need to get, you know, some some really bad news or something to happen. And then, you know, then you have the old, you know, historical, you know, evidence that markets never bottom until after the Fed stops hiking and, and things like that. So, this is a very different time. Here's the big thing. So I'm a liquidity guy. There's still trillions of, of dollars of liquidity out there. Uh, the Treasury is getting ready to reload the balance sheet or reload their general account. So, you know, that's going to suck a little bit of liquidity away from risk assets. But you have that uh, as a potential, you know, that's going to start happening as well as the Fed, you know, with QT and things like that. But there's, I don't know, what, three or four trillion, Caleb, you may know better than me, that, that just exited to money markets that are just kind of sitting there. Actually, it might be more than that like sitting in money markets. And I'm one of those, um, you know, I'm, I've got a ton in money markets just waiting. Uh, so there's a ton of liquidity there. There's a ton of liquidity still in the system that hasn't been pulled out. So as soon as the dust settles and as soon as we see inflation start to settle and the Fed can say, look, we're, you know, we're going to hold here, but not hike anymore. Uh, you know, I think the markets can can really start to recover. And then, then your next test is going to be, you know, um, the highs of 2021. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. I think we're in consolidation in the markets. I think if the economy can hang on, we don't get a deep recession, we don't get bad inflation, and the labor market continues, I think we've got a new normal from an inflation standpoint. I don't think we're going to see twos. Uh, I think in, I think the consumer is, is you know, pushing through and, and is good with three or four uh, percent. And I think the markets can, can continue to trug along until, you know, something happens with liquidity. So, Caleb, I'd ask you this, is that last week we saw the, the jobless claims numbers come out at 266,000, biggest jump in I don't know how long. So, I mean, the question I would have for you is, is that something that is that a trend that is now shifting towards more people filing is is the is the unemployment rate about to start to pop up? Are, are we going to see weaker jobs numbers? Because 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 Greg's right. I mean, the, the jobs market has been incredibly resilient um, at least up to this point. So, so do you have any views on that, and 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 then how it pot potentially could relate to crypto and and the stock market? Yeah. So I think you know the initial unemployment claims data that we got earlier this week certainly wasn't good. We made cycle cycle highs, if you will. Last time we were at this level of two hundred sixty one thousand initial claims was back in October of two thousand twenty one. The difference is in October of 2021, initial claims were falling, right? So now we're, we're, we're reaching the same level, but in an uptrend. So that's certainly not good. Um, so, you know, one of the things that um, I actually talked about in a newsletter that I published earlier this morning is if you look at the four week moving average of initial claims, we actually haven't gotten above those uh, March or April 2023 highs. So... You know, this could be a little bit of a canary in the coal mine or it could be somewhat of a nothing burger. And we kind of go through a little bit of a consolidation phase of initial unemployment claims. 
I, I don't have a crystal ball, so I'm really not sure. When I look at labor market data, though, you know, we did see an uptick to 3.7% in the um, unemployment rate. One of the things that I like to do, um, I used to hate math in high school and college, but when I learned about calculus, it really perked my ears up. So when you can take a rate of change or a derivative of something, I get pretty interested in that. And so when I look at the rate of change of the unemployment rate on a year-over-year basis, we are now in positive territory in that metric for the first time in quite a while. And I've done research on this. I, I haven't seen anyone else ever talk about this um, in, in this particular um, lens. But every time that the year-over-year -year rate of change in the unemployment rate goes from negative to positive, we're either in a recession or on the verge of entering one within a few months. And so this is somewhat of a leading indicator potentially for overall unemployment. The Fed has made it very clear that their expectation, you know, whether it's the dot plots or, you know, in speeches that they give, that they expect to see the unemployment rate in the mid 4% range at some point in 2023 and in 2024 and in 2025, right? So the Fed, by their own admission, is expecting 100% that we are going to see a deterioration in the labor market. The right way to describe the labor market is that it's been resilient and dynamic. People don't like when I use the word strong, so I've settled on resilient and dynamic because I think every single labor market throughout history has had weak points within it. However, I don't think we've seen a labor market be this resilient and this dynamic given the macro uncertainties, the Fed tightening cycle, the massive decline in 2022 in services and manufacturing PMIs, the whole nine yards, right? And so to see where we are today is very interesting. One of the things I talked about earlier this week as well is even looking at the non-farm payroll data from, from uh, the May data is looking at construction employees hit a new all-time high in the month of May. And so typically what we see for the construction labor force is that that metric starts to level off and decline in advance of a recession. We're not seeing that today. So again, I think we could be on the precipice of seeing more labor market weakness ahead of us. However, again, the labor market has been resilient and dynamic. Could it continue to be resilient and dynamic for a, a few more months? Yeah, it could. So I don't want to jump the gun here just based off one week of initial unemployment claims. Yeah, that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. So so I'm just looking at going back to some altcoins here and seeing what some are doing. I just brought up the chart of like Chainlink. Chainlink is down massively down, down, you know, basically trading at $5, which actually is making a new low. So I, I'm, I'm looking back at the data. I'm not seeing since since 2020, the last time it was down here in June, actually June of 2020. So three years ago. So again, we talked about, I think we talked about how some of these other ones are also like Cardano, even though Cardano technically is a double bottom right now hitting that low it did briefly pierce those lows and so again i think i think as people are tuning in and, and i would just ask people to retweet this spaces get it out there i want people in here that that are are going to learn something and we always try to give tidbits of knowledge here but but with the altcoins I would say, at least from me, and I'll just throw this out there, is that you start getting back to levels that you saw in the last, you know, bear market in good quality ones. I think for me, I'll start nibbling a little bit more on some of these alts. And and so for me, it's it's a matter of obviously asset allocation. I want to be that very, very clear. And I think everyone on this panel will agree is that, you know, this isn't one of those scenarios where you're like, oh, I'm going all in. Like, that's not that number one, that's never a good trading strategy. Even if it works a few times, it trains you in a bad way where eventually you'll blow up. But again, taking small positions at key levels of good quality things 
can be done, assuming you go in saying, hey, listen, I understand that the regulation could come and this could drop 50% or 100% on me. But if you're, val- if you're, if you're doing 1% of your account, you have to say, all right, I have 100,000 in this account. If I lose this, I'm at 99,000. Does that make me lose any sleep overnight? And the answer is absolutely not, or at least it shouldn't. So the beauty of it is, is we may be getting on these, and this is, this is something I'm going to throw out to you guys on the panel to, to kind of let me know your thoughts. But like, does this, do we look back at this? Like, let's say the Fed comes in and regulates and they put out new rules. Obviously, I'm not expecting the same rules as stocks. I think people hear the word securities and they're like, oh, crap, you know, they're going to have to report earnings every quarter and all this. I think it's going to be different for coins, but there will be specific rules they have to abide by. But once you get past that, these good quality names like a, a Polygon and a Cardano, uh, some of these bigger ones, does this turn out to be a generational buy where a 1% part of your portfolio on Cardano, let's say at 15 cents or 10 cents, if it gets down there, does that end up giving you a 20 X once we get through this? And, and I'd just like to hear you guys on the panel. Like, is that, is that something that's in your purview of thought process or you're just like, no, I don't even want to be bothered with it. You know, if they drop low enough and I was looking at the total three, um, you know, it's broken the 2018 um, support that it's been sitting at for a while. You know, if it can get down to those areas of consolidation, you know, you've got a lot of confluence going back to, you know, February 2018, May 2018, and then that consolidation before the run-up in January, you know, February 2021. I mean, you can get some 20Xs, you know, if it can, if, if they can fall down into those levels. The question is which coins, right? Yeah, like you, like you said, we know the ones that have some real use cases that are really building. Uh, so yeah, I, I do think if it can get low enough, I think you can have some of those opportunities. But even at some of the levels we're at now, I mean, you can get a four and five X if you know things just bounce back to consolidation. So it's going to be really interesting to see how much damage is really done, you know, through this through this phase right now with with altcoins. Yeah, Tom, you got your hand up. What do you want to say, brother? Yeah, so I've been, I think, along with lots of people on this panel, we've been watching Dominance, and where, where's Benjamin Cohen? He has some uh, flexing to do, I think, today. But um, I think we've been kind of watching this Dominance and saying to our audiences, you know, when this breaks, it's not the second it breaks, but when we see this break and when we see it move, you know, higher into a retracement, maybe up into the 50s, there are going to be... And it, of course, which ones is going to be the magical billion dollar answer, but which ones there's going to be some very strong, maybe generational buys available. But the important part Gareth hit it on the head as always is this is not an all in, you know, we don't know the winners here just because dominance moves up. Let's say it goes to 50% doesn't mean it can't go higher. doesn't mean that's the bottom, but what it does signify is that alts are hitting those lows, those macro lows against Bitcoin. And that does present, buying opportunities to the upside. So you have to be very careful what you pick, why you pick them. I'm not going to make those decisions for anyone here. Um, but the allocation is the most important thing. You know, 1%, I love the 1% rule. It's, I, I even have like maybe a 0.1% rule where I allow myself to pick up, you know, just garbage things because I'm, I'm controlling my risk with my position size. So I think being alert here and keeping track, you know, keeping an eye on the things you want to invest in is important. But I wouldn't jump the gun just because we're seeing a little higher high on dominance. I would wait. I would even wait to see maybe a potential high on dominance and then start to fall a little bit to really go bargain shopping. Yeah, that makes sense. That's great. Great input, Tom. Thank you. So, so 
in terms of next week, I mean, let's turn our attention here to next week. Um, we have CPI data next week. We have the FOMC decision. Um, is there anyone on the panel that thinks the Fed is actually going to surprise and raise, um, considering the stock market's run, considering that inflation is stubbornly higher? Or are we all in the camp where, you know, it looks like the Fed funds futures are basically saying they're going to pause? Um, and then I would just add in to a secondary question. Do they come out? My, at least my position would be is they're going to come out and be even though they're probably paused, they'll come out and be very hawkish because they don't want to kind of create this melt up even more so in the markets that could potentially add to recessions. Uh, um, Caleb, you want to jump in on that one? Yeah, so uh, I think it's always super important to differentiate between what I think the Fed should do versus what I think the Fed will do. The Fed, first of all, should have cut rates quite a while ago. Um, they should be pausing, certainly, at this upcoming meeting. But when I look at like the three-month Treasury yield right now trading at 5.27%, it's basically pricing in a 0.2% rate hike. When I look at the six-month yield, it's basically doing even more of a rate hike. So the, the bond market, a.k.a. smart money, is still pricing in more tight monetary policy and the potential for another rate hike. However, I also have to acknowledge that these yields could be propped up right now as the, as the Treasury goes off and issues new debt, right? So that all else being equal, more supply of Treasuries is going to bid yields higher. So, you know, I want to take this data with a bit of a grain of salt. I think that, um, you know, I'm at a bit of a crossroads as to what the Fed is actually going to do. Um, so I think we might get a little bit more clarity, maybe even as soon as Monday or Tuesday on this. I think uh, the CPI in and of itself uh, coming out is going to be actually somewhat of a non-factor here in their decision. Um, everyone knows that we're in disinflation. The Fed knows we're in disinflation. Um, and based on what the market is already pricing in for the upcoming print, uh, I think last I checked, median estimates are predicting 4.1% on a headline year-over-year -year basis. Uh, um, and look, and that's probably still going to be with shelter extremely elevated. Um, you know, so, go ahead. Sorry. So are you, no, I was just going to say, so Caleb, are you, are you, when you say disinflation, just to be clear, you're not saying inflation is negative. You're just saying it's coming down. So there's, so there's still inflation in the system. It's just not as high. It's coming down slowly, right? Yeah, correct. So one of the things I've been talking about since last year is prices haven't peaked, but inflation has, right? So inflation is just a rate of change. I was talking about calculus earlier, right? We're just measuring a rate of change versus some starting point. Um, but prices in and of themselves certainly have not peaked, but the rate with which prices are going up has peaked, right? So disinflation is like a car going from 75 miles an hour on the freeway to 65 miles an hour. Deflation is like going from five miles an hour to going in reverse five miles an hour, right? We're certainly not in deflation. Excuse me. We're certainly not in deflation. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. And so, so I guess, Greg, what, what are your thoughts on, on the Fed coming up in the decision? And then obviously it's implications for the stock market. Do you see the stock market continuing to rip even with crypto rolling over here? Um, does crypto have more downside due to anything that the Fed says? Um, and then I would just say also, like, like, are you expecting another shoe to drop in crypto in the next week or so? I mean, should investors be on high alert that there's there's probably more actions by the SEC that could shock the crypto markets? Yeah. So on the first part, you know, I think um, what the Fed is going to do at this point, given, you know, CPI, I mean, if we get some just wildly high CPI just just shocks everybody, I think the Fed, you know, has a cause to hike. But I think if all things, you know, like Caleb said, if everything just kind of holds, uh, they're watching the job market, they're watching inflation. I don't think they really, you know, are paying attention to the stock market much just because of the nature of what's going on. 
um, and the levels that we're at right now, I mean, we're just at retracement levels, right? We're at the 618 pretty much everywhere. I mean, just kind of some have broke a little bit, some are kind of support there. So um, I think they're going to hold, you know, they're going to pause, but probably indicate that they're not done hiking, that they're going to be data dependent, you know, all the same stuff. You just never know with Powell, right? Um, but I think that's the messaging right now that the market expects. And to Caleb's point, you know, next week we're going to find out a whole lot more and get some guidance on what they're going to do. But right now, I think they're going to pause. I think they're going to say we're going to, you know, continue hiking, that this isn't the end. We're going to watch the data, you know, things like that. You know, on the disinflation, you know, thing, I mean, that's like he said, that's a slowing of the rate of inflation, not prices coming down. Prices are still high. They're still going up and it's almost become a new norm. So I think they're going to speak to that a little bit and continue to pound that 2% target. The real debate is, will we ever get there? You know, given the economy right now, as far as the crypto market, I think, you you know, you can see uh, potential for more damage if, if more actions are filed. If you get if you have some DOJ stuff come out against finance, you know, then you got an FTX kind of thing happening. Um, if they come after stable coins, if they start coming after the rest of the exchanges uh, and those types of things, I think, yeah, I think you'll see a bloodbath, you know, at that point. And I think a lot of the capital is rotating out of crypto into stocks. You know, a lot of hedge funds that are, you know, kind of playing that game. So I think there's more momentum and more opportunity in the stocks, you know, to to continue to climb and, you know, maybe get past that 618. Now we're looking at 702 and, you know, the 786, you know, and you clear those levels and we're back to all time highs again. So it, it's really fascinating to me what's going on, given the macro environment, you know, and again, it comes down to liquidity. There is so much liquidity out there and a lot of it's rotating out of crypto back into traditional markets and, and you know, Bitcoin. That's what's kind of keeping Bitcoin alive right now as well. Can, can I ask you guys, you know, and this is something that I keep on dealing with, is that, you know, why, I mean, crypto's been around for a long time, and the SEC's kind of been on this this attack for a long, long time. It, is there a specific reason why regulation is taking this long, or is this a way for, for the SEC and the government to just bleed down investors and, and kind of force as many of these things out? Because, I mean, you could argue that, the shit coins that were rallying, if they had regulation out there, right? I mean, if regulation came out a year ago, would Pepe have made the run it did? And when it's collapsed back down in these other ones, would people have lost the money? I mean, have they been asleep at the wheel or is this done on purpose? You know, timing is very interesting. Like I said, that statement, we don't need another digital currency was a very interesting statement. So is there some agenda here that just all of a sudden, was there something that they see that was coming that we don't know about? Um, or is it just that they're understaffed, they've got a lot on their hands and they needed you know, time to get the documentation together and everything they needed to actually file a claim? Um, you know, and then we have the election cycle coming up. So you know, politics could be playing into it a little bit. But, you know, Gensler is an interesting character. You know, I mean, he taught blockchain. You know, he understands the space. He gets it. Um, you know, he wanted to be an advisor to Binance. Uh, you know, it's really, really interesting. And you've got a political divide going on. You have obviously the politicians that are trying to capitalize on the crypto market and get everybody to support them saying they're, you know, they're pro crypto. And then you have the other half that, you know, is totally anti crypto because, you know, they see a threat against the dollar potentially and things like that, which, you know, crypto, to be clear, you know, there's no risk to the dollar for crypto. Not at this point. Uh, it's yeah. just not a reality. Maybe someday, but not right now. And maybe stable coins, but not right now. So, yeah. I, you know, I think it just took them time to get their ducks together. I think they just don't have enough people. And it's a big, big, wide open space. And where do you start? 
Yeah, absolutely. So CBO Crypto's joined us as a speaker, buddy. What do you have to say, man? I'd love to hear your, your views. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to kind of take this a little uh, in a different turn here. But, uh, you know, in, in terms of, you know, just asking if, you know, what the deal is on, you know, ushering in uh, regulations in crypto. I mean, it, it really isn't hasn't been that long, I suppose. It's only what, like 13, 14 years old uh, so far. And as you kind of look back, uh, you can kind of see how the, you know, the tourniquet has been tightening through the time, even since like 2017. Uh, there was times where you'd never imagine that, you know, Bitcoin would be trading on, you know, the stock market uh, on the CME exchanges, uh, the way that it's just kind of been, you know, welcomed now by, you know, larger uh, hedge funds and, you know, banking systems and just at least being talked about, which was just not a thing back just four five, six years ago. Um, obviously, you know, 10 years before that, it was, you know, just Silk Road style. Uh, and in my opinion, you know, crypto is allowed to do what it's allowed to do. You know, the the are at least here in the U.S., you know, you would imagine that if things were really, you know, a threat or viewed as a threat uh, or they really wanted to ban it, you know, it would take all of two seconds to shut down all the on-ramps, at least for, you know, payment systems from credit cards onto Coinbase or, you know, they'd tell, you know, we'd have to go Silk Road style if they really wanted to like turn it off from us. Right. So uh, I do think that, you know, there's a underlying level that they do let it go and it'll just slowly kind of, you know, become a little tougher as we go through, as the market cap expands, you know, obviously the volatility will get a little tighter as the stock market has it over the years as trillions of dollars potentially could usher in. Um, but that's the, my little outlook on, on that, uh, kind of taking a look, I've been listening in, you know, last 45 minutes here and, you know, you talked about Apple making all time highs right now, crypto is kind of rolling over, uh, and, looking at crypto in the sense of, you know, could we have a bigger plunge ahead of us? And I'm just going to point out a couple of things. Um, one, you know, this time frame, uh, not necessarily pointing out like a four-year cycle or anything like that, but just as far as impulse moves in, in the market. So, you know, we obviously had a bull run, so a huge impulse of, you know, Bitcoin back in 2021. The altcoins obviously exploded, uh, and we've seen the the outcome of, uh, you know, the, the downturn since then. Uh, and then on our last impulse move, uh, which was 2017, you know, we had 2018 kind of, you know, slower time frame bleed down. We've had uh, accumulation during that time. And 2019 into 2020, really, I mean, Bitcoin, you know, stole the show uh, for a long time. Bitcoin and ETH. Uh, if you were looking at any kind of altcoins back in, you know, that time, Cardano, XRP, you know, and, you know, Chainlink, I think was one of the few that actually did pretty well at the same time. Uh you you really did only have Bitcoin just, you know, running hundreds of percent against everything and then taking a dump and everything dumping. So it's just that everything being flatlined while Bitcoin kind of rallied uh, and then Bitcoin would dump and everything would also dump with it. And 2018, I just want to bring up that time frame because we had the same scenario we're looking at right now with Apple, a couple other stocks, but specifically Apple. I remember uh, hitting all time highs back then. It was like two hundred dollars. And uh and that was at the window when we were actually coming in and making a, a pretty big low uh, for crypto. So it's just kind of interesting to see that uh, kind of line up. But more than anything on a technical side for me, looking at uh, Bitcoin and ETH specifically, the other altcoins obviously uh, are getting hammered. And for me, I look for more of uh, major areas on Bitcoin and ETH when they kind of land to kind of take a look at the other altcoins. And since about the $30,000 high uh, for Bitcoin and you got the you know $2,100 high out of Ethereum, uh, you know, just looking at the chart, I posted an Ethereum chart in here, I think, uh, and, you know, pulling some boomer moves on myself. I couldn't figure out how to raise my hand for like 10 minutes, but uh, <laughs> I did post a chart in the comment section here, I think, on ETH. Uh, and essentially, you know, we've been looking just for a very technical pullback 
which I imagine most are, you know, got their eyes on to some degree right now. Uh, and it's just the gold pocket of this last impulse move. And that was from 1370 back in March up to the $2,100 high. Uh, and that comes in at like 1650, right? So just, just a little bit below where we are now. Uh, we are right now sitting at the May 23, so uh, May of this year, last month's low, just basically swept it here. Uh, so potential for a little run back is there. But just below us is kind of an area where I really wouldn't overlook. Uh, you know, you've got a lot of high time frame averages of price, so mean reversion just below us here. You got a quarterly pivot that's untapped right at about 1620. Uh, and it all lines up with that gold pocket. So, you know, I wouldn't imagine we just come to it and just, you know, sit on it and run it. Uh, potentially, we you know, shoot through it a little bit. Obviously, people are probably putting some, you know, uh, limit buys and things, you know, presetting there. Uh, generally, that's a recipe to just kind of get immediately whipped yep. out. But um, somebody asking something? Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, so so in terms for the for the group here, and, and I'm just kind of trying to gather my thoughts on the whole crypto fiasco going on and then the relation in everything else is that, is there, so do we expect, number one, we talked about, do we expect anything else on Tether, for instance, and, and would that be something that then would, I mean, I could imagine if the SEC goes after Tether, that that could be a break point on Bitcoin and Ethereum, mainly because so many of these exchanges, you, you're trading, you're trading with that pair, right? Um, like, do you guys have a view on that? I mean, if, if Caleb or Greg or, or anyone out there, like, like I, I'm trying to figure out if, if Bitcoin for people that are listening, is Bitcoin some place to go for safety or is it at this point like, dude, you got to be way more careful than this. It's more it's better to be in cash kind of thing. It depends on how bad it gets. I want to clarify one thing, too. I think I'm the oldest on the panel, but I am not a boomer. I missed the cutoff by two years. So I just wanted to throw <laughs> that out there just so everybody knows. But um yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, you know, most of the trading done around the world is done with, you know, stable coins, right? Uh, or it's, you know, done on swaps, you know, swap exchanges, token to token. So that will have a huge impact because a lot of the, you know, velocity out there, especially on the institutional level, is traded with, um, you know, dollars and, and stable coins. So that would definitely impact it. The question is, what could they do with Tether? You know, can they even do anything because they're not in the United States? Um, you, you know, Tether operates, you know, on its own. So, you know, could they even really do anything other than just say, you know, ban those things in the United States and you still have the rest of the world that could use them. And then, you know, investors will figure out how to how to use those things. But, yeah, if you have Binance go down, if you have DOJ come out, if you have Tether all of a sudden come under attack and, you know, USDC, you're, you're going to have a big problem. But, you know, USDC, they are still working, you know, was that circle, you know, they're still working on filing. Uh, to go public and things like that. So I think, you know, they might potentially be okay, but they had some issues as well in the past that they had to clean up. So yeah, that would be, that would be a big one for Bitcoin. But right now, you know, in the crypto space, Bitcoin and Ethereum are your flight to safety. Um, you know, at the end of the day, cash is king, right? Regardless of what you think, you know, right now, if we saw it in 2020, we saw it in the most recent times, what happened in 2020 when the economic Armageddon was on the table, everybody went to cash for a period of time. What did we see in 2009? Everybody went to cash. So when the big economic shoes drop in the markets, in the economy, everybody goes to that flight to safety, which is cash. Cash is king. That's right now. That's not always going to be forever, but that's just the reality of where we are right now. And uh, that's, you know, that's kind of my two cents. So, so then another question is, um, 
if you had to choose on this panel for, and I asked this in the spaces, or this was a question that was in the spaces this past Monday. Um, the question was, do you put your money in gold right now or Bitcoin? Like if you just had to make the choice, and again, obviously never, never put any, all your money in any one asset, but, but on Monday, I was the only one that said gold. All right. Everyone else was like Bitcoin for the next 12 months. Do you, how does everyone feel here on that, on that question now? I mean, has anything changed? Do you still think, Bitcoin's the play for the next 12 months if you have a 12-month horizon. So you're talking about return, not necessarily safety. Well, I, I think I think as an investor, you have to take that into account, right? I mean, I think on Monday when I was saying that, it was partially because we didn't know the outcome of what's going on with Binance and stuff. And so you have to look at it like, yeah, you you may be flat on gold after a year, but is there a risk that Bitcoin's down 50%, right? And then so it's, it's a protection motion, not just how much return we can get. Yes, for me, it's Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin is going to way outperform gold over the next 12 months. And, you know, I don't see Bitcoin going anywhere. I don't see, you know, any kind of regulation being able to affect that or take it down or stop it. So, you know, for me, I think gold, you know, is more of a rotational, you know, kind of a hedge play. And, you know, we've we had a double top recently. And, you know, I think it's going to be very difficult for gold to gain that momentum unless something just really crazy happens. So I, I'm I'm a long, I'm a bull on Bitcoin in the next 12 months and the next, you know, three weeks, four weeks, six months. I, I don't know, but I can see Bitcoin back to 30, 40,000 or better um, while gold just kind of consolidates and, and hangs out. Gotcha. How about you, Caleb? Yeah. I mean, you're talking to someone who's, who's been short gold for the last month um, and short gold miners. So, um, you know, I, I somewhat like the pair trade of being, being long Bitcoin here, short gold and uh, just sit back and chill for the next 12 months. Nice. Tom, I assume you're going on the Bitcoin train. Of course. Uh, but if, I, I would say I'm always on the Bitcoin train. But that uh, doesn't mean, you know, all in, all out. I, I still think gold would be a solid you know, little piece to have. It did break. We It did break an all-time high last month. Hasn't done much sense. But um, I don't see gold collapsing or, you know, dumping 50%. So I guess if we're going to talk, like, stability, you know, I think gold is more likely to be at the same value in six months than Bitcoin is right now in this moment. Nice. And then uh, CVO and then uh, I see crypto Jack is on here. If you want to chime in with your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, if it's, you know, 12 months from today, I would, I'd be in the, the Bitcoin camp, but you know, if I had to have a long-term investment, I guess, but I'm, I'm really more in the camp in the next 12 months that we're probably just going to honestly be in the same range uh, from, you know, I think that we have a lot of upside potential, uh, you know, short term. And then I think that, you know, by the end of the year, we'll probably make our way back down to this region uh, and then potentially sit around this area at the same time next year. So it's it's going to be more so the short term plays, in my opinion, or in, I guess in my strategy for the next year. But if I had to, you know, hold something of the two, I, I'd probably be in, in Bitcoin as well. Gotcha. And Crypto Jack, welcome, by the way. Yeah, thank you, guys. Um, good space and, and a good time to be talking about all this stuff. Yeah. Um, so to your question specifically, uh, I, you know, let's back this thing up, right? If we zoom out, we look at Bitcoin's price action. Every Bitcoin having has led to a bull run. Doesn't mean it has to in the future. Does, you know, that could change, I'm sure, whatever. But if we just kind of like take that as a reality for at least the historical context of Bitcoin, and we understand that the next Bitcoin having is in the next 300 days or so or less, then, you know, in my opinion, if I'm going to if I had to pick one or the other gold or Bitcoin, I'm, I'm picking Bitcoin for the next 12 months. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. an interesting point. So that's absolutely, you know, on point 
you know, running up into the halvings and then the bull run after the halving. The real question is, what magnitude of a bull run do you guys think we will get after this halving? You know, do you think we'll break the you know all-time highs? Do you think we'll go to 100K, 500K? You know, we obviously have diminishing highs. You know, I saw somebody put a comparison out about diminishing returns. You know, the other day when you go historically, starting from nothing, obviously you're going to get exponential returns. But, you know, if you take the last 10 years, I mean, we're definitely seeing diminishing returns on that multiple. What are your thoughts on the next bull run in terms of potential? That's a great question overall. I, you know, so so for me, and I'm, I'm a huge long-term bull on Bitcoin. I've said that many, many times. Obviously, I'm still in the camp that I'm un, unsure if the lows are in of the cycle, if we're still in a bear market. Mainly, by the way, just to throw it out there, I, I did this tweet earlier too, is that this, the, this is exactly how we saw the dot-com bubble play out. And I know there's not, I mean, Greg, me might be the only one that was around in the dot-com with, with me. And that was the very beginning of, the, uh, of my trading career. But, you know, you got to see some of these alts wiped out. But I do think in the next cycle, it's going to coincide with the regulation and clarity, right? Without that, you're not drawing in big money. Once you get big money in Bitcoin, like once, let's say, a pension fund with trillions of dollars, and we know how many, how much money these pension funds have and everything, that's to me where where the upside potentially on Bitcoin is huge. And I, I could see it. I think I, I personally am not in the camp that the halving is going to be a big deal. Um, I've been reading a little bit about it. It doesn't look like, I mean, the, the difficulty of, of mining doesn't doesn't get that much crazier but i do think five years out plus you're looking at for me 250 250,000 i think is is definitely in the cards I, I'll, I'll follow you up on that <clears throat> gareth just because there was one other comment i was going to make too so um but but yeah i'm so i'm taking the other side of the trade on that i i do think that the having is going to be a big deal i know uh each each prior having is is has been met with this sort of like, oh, it's not going to be a big deal this time. And then it's a big deal. Like it always seems to kind of surprise people. And I actually really like that as far as like a trade setup goes, um, that that's a, it's a very good way to kind of judge sentiment. I think that the moment where everyone is like kind of nodding in agreement of like, oh yeah, bull run right here, baby, then it's probably going to stop working. You know, like that's just how markets work. Um, but the other thing I was going to point out with respect to where Bitcoin is right this second is uh, from a structural, you know, technical perspective, we're on the 20 week exponential moving average. Um, this is has been like historically, and I'm talking about going back to 2015, 2016, and even in the bear markets, this is a level that's been really highly respected. Um, so both up and down, and we're sitting right on it. Not only that, you know, Bitcoin has spent about a year making this inverted head and shoulders, um, a really nice macro reversal, and we're coming back and retesting that neckline like as we speak. So we're we're on a key macro support, and we're testing uh, the support after a breakout. So I, I'm one of those guys thinking, man, it'd be really interesting if Bitcoin weathered the storm right here and then sent it up into the end of the year, but only to come back and shake people out before the halving. But uh, that's just kind of my one-two step I'm expecting. Nice, Tom. You got your hand yeah. up? Yeah. Well, first I want to say, what's up, Jack? Good to see you, brother. Um, and I wanted to piggyback off of uh, some of what he was saying. So th this structure that has been built, uh, there's so much right here where we are. You know, you were speaking of the 20, I think you said EMA weekly. Uh, we're right on the 200 weekly moving average, which has also been historically Bitcoin's like ultimate buying level until we broke through it last year. It was the first time really ever we've spent any time underneath it. And 
I was talking about this on my stream live yesterday that we're seeing the SEC go after so many coins. I think that that's just round one. People are saying, well, what about Shiba? Shiba wasn't on there. I was like, well, good luck, buddy. Uh, if you're like Pepe, was, yeah, good luck. I think these are their first round picks. I think we're going to see more. But on top of that, they're going after Coinbase and Binance. These are two massive undertakings. Like these are this this news. I won't say is the F, you know FTX news. They're not related. Those aren't the same concerns. But size wise, or kind of just the grandness of them is massive. And Bitcoin just shrugged it off. You know, I think that the macro structure here is in play. I definitely see it's possible for it to trade lower, but uh, it's holding up incredibly well. Like the, I would say the divergence between what's going on and Bitcoin's stability right now, I think is a product of this massive structure it's built. And it's showing incredible resilience based on all of uh, the chaos this week. You know, I've got one question. I see Gary jumped in and he'd probably be good on this one. So, you know, my biggest concern with Bitcoin long term is, you know, with the halvings. So this one coming up in you know 2024 is going to be a significant cut to the amount of Bitcoin that can be mined and really affect the profitability of the miners. I know the difficulty level will adjust, but still, that's a huge, huge cut. And if price, you know, does not rebound and does not get above that $30,000 threshold, I mean, that's going to put a lot of miners out of business because they have, you know, overhead costs. They've got you know, equipment costs, you know, rent, employees, this, that, and the other. I mean, when you factor all that in, their break even is probably close to 30000 right now, uh, plus or minus, depending on how they operate. And then you got four years later, you get another cut. So, you know, what is that going to do, you know, to the network? You know, are, are people going to be able to continue, you know, to operate nodes and to continue to mine? You know, that's that's my biggest, you know, longer near-term concern with the Bitcoin network and Bitcoin itself. I'm yeah. happy to, to take that, Gareth, or, or you can go. I'm not trying to cut you off, sorry. No, 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 def- definitely you take you take it, yep. Okay, um, so Greg, excellent question, and it's anybody who does their homework, they all kind of like land on this, this question, like, okay, tell me about miners, how are they going to stay in business? If they're truly the security protocol of the entire Bitcoin network, then, you know, how are they going to be happy in the future? So two things to consider. Um, number one, it's not just about their uh, the block subsidy, the block rewards, you know, which is what the having is focused on. So in, for those in the audience who don't understand, there's a certain amount of Bitcoin, like fresh Bitcoin, freshly minted Bitcoin. It comes out every roughly 10 minutes. And the miners are the ones who receive this this Bitcoin. Um, so with within a Bitcoin block, uh, if you're the first to solve the the computational pro, uh, problem, which is like a big Sudoku problem, um, you get the the block reward and you get the transaction fees. So the transaction fees is my first point, Greg. Um, so at the the game theory here is if Bitcoin continues to take off, if other countries continue to use it as you know one of their their national currencies or at least accept it along with their national currencies like El Salvador, um, then the game theory is that the usage of Bit, of the Bitcoin network will go up. And that usage will bring uh, higher fees. Maybe you're familiar with some of the Bitcoin ordinal debate, the discussion that's been going on lately where it's like NFTs on Bitcoin, I guess, just kind of the 20 IQ way of thinking about it. Well, when that was popping off here recently, it brought with it a a lot, uh, a, a huge increase to the normal fees, the transaction fees. You can go back and look at the mempool and look at some of the charts and graphs. 
And the miners loved it. Boy, they love ordinals. That's like their favorite thing they've seen in years because they didn't have to just solely live off that block reward. So that's item number one. Item number two, as far as like um, how they're going to survive, is it comes to the energy. So, so we have gone through uh, and we're currently going through, um, you know, there's been this like shying away from uh, oil and gas energy production. You know, everyone's kind of like unsure about nuclear, but there's some countries who are saying, hey, you know what, we're all in nuclear. You know what, like we need as much energy as we can get full stop, you know, environment be damned kind of thing. That's like how they're, they're handling it. Um, but with that, if energy production is increased overall into the future, and therefore, like, so if, if supply is increased, um, then they, these miners will be able to get cheaper energy uh, and, and be able to balance that, the, the energy side of the equation a little bit better going into the future. And I think that's a big uh, thing to consider as well. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Gary, I made you, I think, yep. Are you speaking? You want to, did you want to comment on anything there, Gary? And welcome Gary Cardone. Pleasure to have you on again, buddy. And it was great meeting you yesterday in person. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, Garrett. Thank you for, for lunch, um, meeting your team, impressive office. I liked it. Um, I don't know how to post a link in the, uh, spaces thing. Maybe somebody can walk me through it, but I don't know if you guys saw the news from Exxon Mobil this morning. The last speaker talked about really the input cost of energy. I think if we, we have to look at supply and demand on the energy front, ExxonMobil has uh, figured out how to frack at double the production rate. Now, I've been in the energy business. That was my first career. And uh, one thing I learned from uh, companies that drill and they spend these people spend their entire careers learning how to do geology is um, whether the price is $10 or a hundred dollars for a barrel of crude oil drillers know how to do one thing. They drill holes in the ground looking for energy. And what we find is every time the price compresses, the oil companies figure out a better way to do it. And, and that's like, I really believe that everything over time, drops in value and that will include the energy inputs which should suggest that miners will be fine um if if you believe in this construct of energy will fall it will become more efficient uh i just think that's what this is all going to be about and today the type of energy we're using to mine bitcoin i think it's extremely inefficient uh, this whole thing about using green energy is stupid, in my opinion. We should be using the most wasteful energy on the planet. Turn that into a product that's transportable. Uh, and those examples would be decommission nuclear power plants, decommission nuke, uh, submarines, nuke submarines. And I don't know how technically possible that is, but the, all the flared gas, there's about 27% shrinkage over the entire energy complex. So imagine just taking all that excess energy, and I think the oil companies will be the miners of the future. Um, they know how to do this really, really well. I just, I'm pretty bearish on buying equipment, having a bunch of capital costs, maybe for the short term you do it, but for a long-term play to be in the mining business without uh, owning the energy input, I think is a really scary place to be. Do you, do you think, Gary, or anyone else, is that, I mean, I know we talked yesterday about how Russia has all these, you know, nuclear 
things and so forth where they could be mining this. And then does that then extrapolate out to potentially the crackdown in crypto and, and the government trying to drive it as low as possible? If they're if they are mining Bitcoin, if they're mining other things and it's funding the war, which we know the U.S., you know, yes, it's it's Russia invading Ukraine. There's a war there. But by proxy, it's a you know, the U.S. is involved in as as well as much of Europe. Is this is there something more to it than the, in terms of driving the price of crypto down? I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't think that there's a draconian group of people trying to drive Bitcoin out of the entire global market. I, that's what makes me so positive about Bitcoin. It is not a U.S. product. And I think we are so uh, narcissistic in our approach to the world that we think everything is about America. I actually think if the U.S. bans this, Bitcoin will explode in price. It won't go down. It, it'll validate why we're in this product. So I, I just think this is now down to game theory. People are going to chase margin. And if the oil companies can find a sinkhole to put their incremental energy, in particular, if they're able to do that on long-term contracts, which I'm not sure how that would work, uh, they're going to they're gonna serve any market that gives them a margin. So I, I, I think the market will work. Um and we have to trust that markets work, right? And, and the supply and demand, the way it's being stretched and the price is being reflected in that that supply-demand match, it just shows us that it's going to give tremendous opportunities to people. They're, they're not going to just sit here and not serve that market. I, I don't believe that. Yeah. Uh, so quick quick pivot here. And I this was just something I just happened to bring up, the Ripple chart. And while all – a lot or most of the other alts are collapsing and we've seen big drops here ripple is down but it's still relatively close to the recent highs and the question i would pose and i don't know who would be best to answer this but is that telling us something about potentially this this case i mean why why are people why are buyers still so interested in holding on to ripple um do they believe that they will withstand this judge's decision and, and it will come out positively does that, is there anyone on the panel that can answer that or or has it views yeah, I think uh, Tom's got his hand up. I think Ripple, um, you know, it obviously has a really good use case. You know, a lot of the community thinks they're going to win with the SEC. And they just, they just like Bitcoiners, they have a really strong, resilient community that believes in the future and the long term and the use case that they're not going to let go no matter what. They'll take it all the way. They'll take it all the way down and sit there until, you know, eternity if they have to. Tom? Yeah, so obviously no one knows yet except for maybe the judge uh, what, what's going on with that case, and if they're winning or not. And we've heard that kind of rhetoric over and over again uh, for the last few years. So I'm not going to jump and say that I have any clairvoyance on that. But what I will say is I have heard a lot of kind of ideas around, well, the SEC's recent actions and kind of their the wildfire of recent actions – is likely related to that case at least weakening on their side or a favorable judgment coming. And I think there's logic to that. Uh, kind of, it, it kind of feels desperate. It, it kind of feels like a like an angry you know high school ex girlfriend just like trying to revenge, just get at you at any angle. And I can definitely say that I feel that vibe as well. I wish I could say that for sure means Ripple wins or or not, but uh, obviously I don't know the future there. That sounds like you have a couple ex-girlfriends there that, that might have done that to you, Tom. Huh? <laughs> I got the experience there. <laughs>
Yeah. Awesome, buddy. So um, I'm going to bring this to a close here. Um, I will ask if anyone else on the panel has any final thoughts, but a um, couple things. Number one, on Monday, I have a, a new show called The No Shill Zone debuting with Ben Ben Cohen, Benjamin Cohen. Um, it's at 11 a.m. It will be on uh, on YouTube live. So please, uh, for those of you listening, mark that on your calendar. There will be a link on my Twitter and his Twitter for that. Um, number two, I like to keep these spaces to right around an hour because I think people's time is valuable and I appreciate everyone that does participate and everyone here. We all have we all have families and stuff we need to get back to. But I will say if the crypto markets dump out again overnight going into tomorrow, let's do this again. Let's talk about it. Um, we'll do it again if there is the action to uh, to have. So final thing is, does anyone have any any final thoughts out there? Yeah, to me, you know, I'm opportunistic always. I'm optimistic always. So to everybody on here, I would say, you know, there's huge opportunities. It's business cycles. There's peaks and valleys. Good times never last. Bad times never last. The key is, you know, understanding where you are on the cycle from liquidity, from, you know, macroeconomic standpoint. And then also these little blips that you get and things that go, I mean, this is more than a little blip with what the SEC is doing, but this is where generational opportunities are created. So, you know, for everybody out there, I just say, hang on, pay attention. This is the time to learn, get positioned, build cash. And one of the, you know, one of the most valuable things I've heard in the last week was Gary the other day on the space talking about position size. I think right now to protect yourself, I mean, that's, that's one of the biggest things that you want to think about. Yeah, and, and I, I concur with that. And I think that is so, so important. I mean, position size seems inconsequential in a bull market because you want to make as much as you can, but it's really about protecting the downside in a bear market, right? We never know when that's going to come, especially when we're positive thinkers, right? It's it's all about thinking, oh, well, it's going to get better. Sometimes it doesn't. How do you protect your account? How do you not blow yourself up? You know, leverage is a amazing thing but it's probably the riskiest thing out there that can make you go bust as well um i learned a long time ago with my trading of small caps when i first started like i i basically my my trading career started with trading the small cap market which is essentially like the crypto market back then and and i blew myself up many times and i had to learn the hard way so i do hope that people take heed of that and just protect themselves a little bit you know leverage again should only be used in in rare cases if ever and position size you know again smaller is better you get less emotional which means you make more relevant decisions it's all about that mindset and speaking of mindset on tuesday night we will be having another spaces uh, 7 p.m led by jessica haley my mindset coach who again keeps me on point keeps me functional keeps me at the top of my game so please look out for that as well uh, any last thoughts from anyone else yeah i'll, I'll just pipe in here and say uh th first off thanks gareth for for pulling me up uh, i know we haven't we haven't spoken together but i, I appreciate a great space um, the other thing is, in my opinion, you know, if you look back at how the crypto markets work when it comes to altcoins and Bitcoin and kind of their their engagement back and forth, you know, usually the best time to look for alt positions is not during the bear market. It's not during the cold winter, right? That's when the alts outperform to the downside. Um, so this, in my opinion, is this kind of stack uh, Bitcoin and shill moment. And there'll always be that risk on uh, moment in the future, probably after the halving. Uh, but anyway, I just wanted to to emphasize that people uh, consider just stacking Bitcoin and waiting for other opportunities. And then last thing is I do stream twice a week. So if anybody wants more visuals and stuff, uh, I just do chart streams. That's it. I, just like Tom. Um, so we're awesome. fighting the good fight.
Thanks, yeah, and, and again, we do these spaces every Tuesday at 7, so we'll have you on as, there as well, and that would be wonderful to have you back on those. And, guys, just make sure you follow everyone on this panel on Twitter. Uh, it's such an easy thing to just click on them and follow them. They are great minds. They are sane minds. They are um, chart chartists and macro people and, and basically everything that should help us weather these storms until things get good again, and we need that. We need that in this space. We need that in, in just in general in our lives, positive people, but at the same time realistic people so thank you guys for coming out thank you all on the panel i can't i can't tell you much i appreciate it now go enjoy the rest of your saturday and again thank you guys for all joining much appreciated take care thanks for doing this gareth have a good weekend everyone